Welcome to the Thrive Church Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this message today. Thanks for tuning in. Ah, oh, so good to be speaking this morning. I have uh, quite a, a mixed series of emotions around this morning. This is my last time preaching at Thrive as a pastor at Thrive uh, on a Sunday morning here. And of all the things that I get to do in life, I don't know if there's anything that I quite could compare to the sense of God's fun and pleasure that I feel when I get to preach at Thrive. Uh, there, there is a something special about speaking here in your family when you're a part of the furniture and being able to speak into and contribute to the culture and the atmosphere of what God's trying to build in a place. And so being my last Sunday uh, here with the pulpit and the microphone, I put a lot of thought into which way I could take this morning. And there was, and no one can fire me because I've already quit. So, so there was the natural, the natural pathway of spending a bit of time uh, thanking everybody, honoring a whole lot of people, and that would be awesome. But we'll actually have time for that on the 12th, uh, which will be our last Sunday here as a family. Uh, And so I really wanted to bring a word this morning, the type of thing of, if I could say anything, what would I say? (laughs) If I could say anything to the church that would be as, to my best ability with the time frame that I have to take a chunk of who I am, that the way that God has made me, and to leave that as a final deposit as a pastor in this church, what would I say? And so this is, this is, I've never had this opportunity before to be able to preach um, my last message. So this is quite surreal. Sorry? I do say whatever I want to say, but sometimes I feel nervous about it. Today I don't. And so really what I want to do today is I have had some things on my heart that I have kind of aspire to build into the church culture of Thrive. There, there's church, you know, God has many facets. And then as a church family, we capture a few of God's many facets. And so as a church family, we have many facets as well. And there's a few of those that are really hardwired into me that I always want to be able to speak into, champion and uplift. And so what I want to do today is my final message. I, I, want, to, I want to leave you with the word that I believe if you can exp- like almost have an encounter with the thought, with the revelation, to have your mind shifted by it, it will actually give you the ability to shift forever the way that you make decisions and the way about you, you make plans for the rest of your life. Because I want to share a story of how that happened to me that was the catalyst for me getting into ministry in the first place and then became, it was one moment with God they then changed the way I lived the rest of my life from then on. And so I want to tell a bit of a story. So this goes back a wee while, and in and, and this part of the story, I'm living in Invercargill. So I joined this church when I was about 14 years old, and when I turned 20, I moved to Southland to work in television, went to a great church down there, which is where I met Rowena, got married, all those things, and Rowena was studying to become an accountant, and I was still working in television, and our plan was that she would study at SIT down there for a couple of years, and then for her last year, we'd move to Dunedin so she could get fully qualified at Otago University. 
And during this course of being married, we ended up being asked to help run a campus for our church. And so we were the kind of unofficial two ICs running a campus. And we were having a whole lot of fun, was preaching all the time, service leading, all those fun things. And then time came for us as a family to move. And one of the pastors at the church took me out for a very dangerous cup of coffee. Uh, be warned, if Glenn takes you out for a coffee in the next six months, it could be a life-changing conversation. <laughs> and so we go out for coffee, and this guy says to me, hey, Jared, I believe that you're called to be a pastor. And um, at this point, I'd already dropped a day's employment. I'd gone down from five days in television down to four, so I could gift a day a week to the church. Um, and he goes, oh, I believe that you need to be a pastor. And I said, no, I agree when I'm in my 40s. And at this time, I'm about 23. He said, when I'm in my 40s, I'm going to be a pastor. But until then, I'm going to make TV shows, and then I'm going to make movies. I have my plan. And he said, well, I understand your plan, but I believe that you're called to be a pastor now. And I said, well, that's fine. You're allowed to be wrong. And he said, well, I understand that you think that you're wrong. I obviously think that I'm right. So out of respect for our friendship, could you please go home and have a conversation with God about this? And I thought, sure, I'll go home and have a conversation with God. How dangerous could that be? I already know that you're wrong and that I'm right. Me and Jesus, like this. And uh, so I went home and said, hey, God, what do you think about this? And then almost instantly, I broke down and started bawling my eyes out for about half an hour. First was the realization that I was meant to be a pastor now. Second was the realization that meant that we weren't moving. Third was the realization that I had to have a conversation with Rowanna. And I was like, God, this changes Rowanna's plans a lot. Therefore, you need to be the one to really talk with her about this. Because when we have dark days, as there will be, I want her to blame you, not me. And so Rowena comes home at some point. We're living in this little wee house in Kennington. It was a really cool wee place. And I am, which was not uncommon, somewhat in a fetal position, bawling my eyes out with Jesus. And I am saying to myself out loud over and over, how could I stand before God one day and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, if in the moment when he called me, I refused to answer? And this realization of the significance of eternity began to sink into me in a whole new way and began to be the filter in which I would then process most of my life decisions from that point on. The realization that I wanted to stand before God and the thing that mattered to me most was to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, became the ultimate achievement in mind. It became the number one thing that I wanted, the number one thing that I would choose to live my life by. And then by extension of that, every decision then got weighed into this simple thought, will this decision add to the value of eternity or will it not? Not will this decision benefit our family, not would this decision help to set us up for our grandkids, not is this decision convenient, not is this decision pleasant, but will this decision that I am now presented with build into the value of eternity, or will it not? And so this whole sense of going, I want to live for you, Jesus, no matter what the cost, started to become so real. And then by extension of that, how I felt emotionally about whatever it is that he required of me 
how I felt emotionally no longer became relevant in the decision-making process. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care about how we feel about things, but it just means that how we feel about things is not a prerequisite to obedience. And so we decided to stay, decided to do ministry and all of those things. I remember Rowena saying, I didn't marry a pastor, I married a film director. And you've, you've done like the 180 now, you're a pastor, and we're meant to be making movies and doing the whole Hollywood thing, and, and now we're doing this every Sunday. And it was quite an adjustment for our hearts. And then on that journey, Chris Yath, who was a pastor here, called me and said, hey, I want you to come here and be our kids' pastor. And I still remember this. I, I kind of laughed on the phone and said, Chris, you've got the wrong guy. I have no interest in being a children's pastor. I have served for years and years in children's ministry, 10 weeks on, two weeks off. I've done that for about seven years. I am not going back to doing children's ministry. I don't even know if I want to do youth ministry more. I like pastoring adults. But how we feel about things is not relevant in our decision-making process because God knows our hearts far better than we do And when God told us to take the job and move here, I remember telling God, God, you're going to have to give me a heart for this because I know that you're telling me to do it, but I don't have an emotional connection or passion to what it is that you're calling me to do. And we can actually step into obedience without a great level of excitement with a simple trust that if we walk closely with God, he can actually give us a heart to what he's calling us to. And it ended up being the best leadership decision I've ever made in my life to move here, but it took six months for my heart to connect to any real sense of excitement of pastoring children. Ended up being one of the most fun jobs I've ever done, but I had six months in it going, God, I'm trusting at some point this will click for my heart. God, I I need you to give me a heart for what you've called me to because I'll be obedient regardless to how I feel. See, what, what, what I would love to, to have happen at Thrive, this is what I've always had on my heart that I've always aspired to do, is to awaken us as a church to the constant reality of eternity. And I don't know whether this is something that has been big in my life because of, of losing a dad young, but I, that I had a, an awareness of eternity and the frailty of life from a very young age or if it's just because of, of, of thinking big. But what we do in life today has permanent ramifications for how people will spend eternity. And David would compare, and I've said this many times here at Thrive, he would compare his life saying, God, like, who am I that you would even be mindful of me? My life is like a vapor. One moment is there, then, then it is gone. He would, he would compare the span of a human life to a warm breath on a frosty morning. No no sooner do you see it than it's disappeared. And if I could do anything at Thrive or anything in ministry, it would be to constantly stir people's hearts to the reality of eternity. Because the moment you can be aware of eternity, it places every challenge and every opportunity within its proper perspective. The struggle that you go through now or the suffering that you're in, Paul says there's glory in suffering. I tell you, there's not fun in suffering. There's not good night sleeps in suffering. 
There's no like, look at me, look at me in suffering. But in the spectrum of eternity of what God might be developing, there's glory in suffering. And the spectrums of, of when life is good or when life is hard, if we only ever live with our vision for the moment, we can so easily lose sight of the value of what it is that we're trying to build. And so God's name is great. And God's name is huge. And there's this odd thing with, with Christianity that God is fully established in who He is, yet we get the privilege of building His name. We get the privilege of, of representing the kingdom of God, which is so great it requires no representation, yet we're called to represent it and be ambassadors of it. And, and in the awareness of eternity, the question that we need to ask ourselves is simply, Whose name am I building? Am I building God's name or am I building mine? And here's the reality. If you want to build your name, you can have the greatest tombstone there is. Like it can be made out of marble. It could be 10 foot high. And you could have the best fireworks going off every night, but it will still be a tombstone. I say this just from the biblical representation that if you've given your life to Christ, you're in fact already dead. The Bible says you, you, you no longer live, you've been crucified in Christ. And so if you want to build your name, all you're doing is building the name of a dead man or a dead woman going, look how great my tombstone is. But if you go, God, I just want to build your name. A name that is already established, it's ironic to think that I could even contribute to it. But God, if you would empower me with your grace, and if you would gift me with your faith, and God, if you would give me a heart for what it is that you've called me to, I won't even wait for you to do it before I'm obedient. I will be obedient and establish my connection of trust with you, trusting that you will give me grace, you will give me mercy, you will give me faith, and you will give me passion. I will step out first because of the awareness that my life is like a vapor and there is nothing that I could do that would be more significant with the time that I have than lifting up your name. And, and, and I love this. And I, I've always wanted to preach on God being jealous because it just doesn't get preached about enough. Exodus 34, check this out, verse 14. God says this, Don't worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. See, God is jealous for His own namesake. He wants us living for His name. Not because He's narcissistic, egocentric, or insecure, but because our name is already dead, and by His name alone can men be saved. Because his name alone is a name above all other names. In his name there's life, there's power, there's freedom, there's the fullness of joy. There's Al Shaddai, God Almighty. Elohim, the mighty creator. It's Jehovah Jireh, our provider. There's the Lord who heals, who sanctifies, who makes holy. There's Yahweh Shalom, the Lord, our peace. And Yahweh Sabbath, the Lord of hosts. And Elohim, the everlasting God. To be able to build God's name is a simple process of regularly checking in with God. God, whose name am I building? 
David said, God, I don't even want to assess my own heart because my heart is inherently deceitful. God, would you judge my heart? Would you reveal to me my brokenness? God, because I just want to build your name, but I'm so good at tricking myself and my insecurities are so good at fooling me. God, can you just give me a course correction again? God, I have one life to live for you. And God, I know that you are so loving. And I know that your mercies are renewed fresh every day. But God, I, I want to stand before the God of truth and hear him say truthfully, well done, good and faithful servant. You ran your race well. You, you held nothing back. You picked up your cross daily to follow me. If I could do anything in ministry, it would be to stir hearts to the constant awareness of eternity, that it would become the filter in which we make our decisions. And this is what I love about God, because He gives us freedom of choice. And He says, you know what, if you want to make the greatest tombstone there ever was, go build your own name. I won't make you build mine. But if you want to pick up your cross and follow me daily and build my name, well, here's the cool secret. God goes, I still really care about your name. Oh, I still really care. And this, is, this, this to me is amazing in Revelation. In Revelation 2 verse 17. It says this, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give to that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. This is incredible sense of who God is as a father. This is basically, if you will live for me, and if you will be victorious, and if you will just pursue me and put my kingdom first, and don't worry about building your own name, not only does God Build your name. Not only does he say in, in, in his word that you'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living, but he says you, you step into eternity and God's heart as a father for intimacy with his kids is so great. He says, I've got a precious stone for you and I have a name written on it that is a secret that only you and I will know. Imagine that. That you get to spend eternity with a secret that's just between you and dad. That, that everybody else around has no idea about. King David gets a new name. No one else in the Bible has names right now in my head. <laughs> Ruth, Boaz, there we go. Ezekiel, he gets a new name. D.B. Lambert gets a new name. And it's a secret. Because God would just go, man, you, 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 you lived for me. And I've taken care of your name. When this was written in Revelation, and they're talking about getting a white stone, in the culture of the day, when you went to court, if you were judged and you were found guilty, they would put a dark stone out as your sentence, a visual statement to everybody, you've been found guilty. But if you were acquitted and found righteous, they would place a white stone out as a symbol that you've been vindicated. So what God is saying is not only do I build your name, but I take care of your righteousness. I take care of your purity. 
I take care of your holiness. I take care of your innocence. And, and it's this incredible sense of God saying, not only do I make sure that you are fully redeemed, but I want you to know that I've redeemed you for intimacy. I've redeemed you for a closeness of a relationship with me. And so in this whole thing, I still have a slight wrestle. Because I go, God, that's great for then. But what is the goodness of God that I would see now in the living? Because I need daily encouragement. And so I, a short while ago, after wrestling through with this, I, I resolved within myself of how I wanted to be rewarded by God in the land of the living. So God, if, if I'm not going to build my own name, and I'm just going to go after yours, regardless of how I feel about what it is that you're calling me to do. There's one thing that I want you to reward me with. I don't want the praises of people. I don't need financial remuneration, but feel free, all the same, God. But God, if, if you would give me one thing, I want your presence. God, I want to experience more of your presence. I, I, I will have it unfiltered in eternity. But God, would you do whatever it is that you need to do in me for me to be able to receive more of who you are now? God, would you, would you set me up to be able to live in the daily anointing of who you are now? God, I, I want to live for eternity, but I want to experience the eternal God today. God, if you will reward me with your presence, then that is what I need to be able to pick up my cross daily and follow you. And so the, the final word that I wanted to bring here to a church that I love so much is spend some time with God and allow Him to stir your heart to the reality of eternity. And when you come across decisions or opportunities, even when it's things of like, where should we put our extra $20 this week? No matter how big or how small, let all the opportunities and all the challenges flow through a filter of will this add into God's plan for eternity? Will this build His kingdom? Will this lift up His name? Or will this simply benefit me in the here and now? Because the here and now is like a vapor. One moment it's here and then it's gone, but eternity is eternal. It really does last forever. And the ramifications of what we do today can carry exponential eternal value if we allow ourselves to do what only we see the Father doing. When Michaela said this morning, what would it look like if Jesus was in the room? I had a picture of Jesus on his knees at the front, just worshiping the Father. And to me, that made perfect sense. Jesus would just do what he does. He would lift his dad's name up. He would be Christ crucified and resurrected in the room. And I didn't see him getting praises from people. I just saw his eyes straight on there going, God, you're amazing. I still just want to do what I see you doing. I still just want to build your name. Thanks again for tuning in to the Thrive Church weekly podcast. Stay up to date with everything that's happening.